I'm not a selfish person, but I am a self-first person. I put myself first in all scenarios because that's the way that my yeses get to be yeses and my noes get to be noes. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, we sit down with leadership mentor, Varian Brandon. She's here to teach us all how to commit to our truth. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Redefining Wealth. I am so excited to keep this incredible woman series going. And boy, do I have an incredible woman for you. If you are an OG listener or a purpose chaser, you know who you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back week after week. And thank you for the incredible reviews. I love reading the reviews every week. Please keep them coming. If you've been listening for a while and never left a review, I really would appreciate if you did because it helps more incredible people find us. And speaking of incredible people finding us, if you are brand new to Redefining Wealth, You might be wondering, this committed to truth, what's that about? What's that have to do with finances? Oh, my friend, it has so much to do. You're in a different space now. So this is not your typical or average personal finance show. This community believes that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition of wealth, which is the condition of well-being. So we talk about money and wealth from a completely different perspective than a lot of places out there. Today's episode would be filed under people pillar or faith pillar. And that's because we base redefining wealth on six pillars. If you want to know all about it, I suggest you go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. That's patricewashington.com forward slash start here. And you will learn all about the pillars and you'll get a free audio training that'll even kind of help you figure out where you should start doing the work because we all need to do a little work. Because the truth is, when we don't get clear on these pillars and how they really contribute to how we live our life, we don't understand the impact it has on our finances, no matter what goals you set for yourself at the beginning of the year, okay? Now, this episode is going to be, mm, it's going to be a game changer if you are a people pleaser, if you are recovering from people pleasing, if you are recovering from saying yes, just to say yes, even when you want to say no, if you are just really dealing with boundaries and inability to put proper boundaries in place, Darian is about to set you free, okay? (laughs) I am gonna listen to this episode myself a couple times because man, nobody puts it down like Darian. So let's just jump in. Let me tell you a little bit more about her. Darian Brandon works with high achievers, top leaders, and ambitious entrepreneurs who are craving the next level and know they're the only ones standing in the way. She knows she was born to liberate leaders who are ready to expand the borders of who they are and shatter the picture of who others think they should be so they can create success and significance according to their own agenda in their own way and leading with consciousness and authenticity. Varian's superpower is being a very intentional truth teller and teaching others what it really means to lead bravely and access the courage to do the next brave thing. Without further ado, here's my girl, Varian Brandon.
Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Varian. <laughs> hey, Patrice, I am so excited to be here. No, I'm so excited. You so hard to get. I don't know. I don't know if the people know. You are so hard to get. And I am so grateful to have you because I just admire you so much. Mm. Mm. I admire you so much. So I always have to give backstory. Mm -hmm. So Varian and I were invited to be a part of the same, I guess, kind of like women's travel group, if Mm -hmm. you will, the legendary collective. We knew women in common. We had never met until we met in Barbados. We did. First time. Barbados, yeah. Met in Barbados the first time. And just so, you're so gracious and so poised. And you just really embody who I want to be when I grow up. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's so funny. And you, and this is so true, you are who I wish I would have been in my 30s. It's like, it's so true because you're so ahead of your time. Just seeing you and even hearing your story, you've always been ahead of your time. And so I think it's a mutual love fest between us. (laughs) Oh my gosh, just man. You know what I love, Varian? I always tell people about my granny. So I've done like these Insta stories about my granny. Tall, strapping, 6'2", Belizean grandma that would tell you like it is, Mm -hmm. right? Like she let her yes be her yes and her no be her no and be completely okay with that. Mm-hmm. And you remind me of that, but you put grace on it. Like you have, <laughs> you have a little tact. <laughs> that, that has definitely been learned. That has definitely been learned and cultivated over the years. <laughs> so I want to go back. I want to learn more actually, because I know you as entrepreneurial variant. Mm-hmm. And I met you, I guess, at the beginning you did. You of did. your entrepreneurial venture. So yes. let's go back to who you were before then and how you became this amazing, tell it like it is, give the people the truth on Facebook Live every day. <laughs> you are the first, if I do go to Facebook, you are the first person I see. That people are probably like, she always on Facebook. No, only for variant. Um, <laughs> Right. So who who was Varian before this this version? I will go back. I'll go way back. I'll go back to being a little girl growing up here in Orlando, Florida. I am the youngest of three girls. My father died when I was nine years old. And so at nine, I went into this place of being totally disconnected from other human beings. Now, of course, at nine, I wouldn't have known to language it out like that. But looking back, the only way that I knew to preserve myself and to not feel that type of pain again was to say, you know what? I won't connect to any human beings. And therefore, if they leave, I won't feel that type of pain. And so for the next 25 years, if you will, I was really emotionally disconnected, Uh, very ambitious, very successful, but emotionally disconnected. And ironically, that emotional disconnection allowed me to build up a place in myself where I really stood for what was real for me. And I had no qualms about sharing it with the world. 
In my corporate career early on, I look back now and I think about, boy, some of the things you said and did were so crazy because I've always been committed to truth, but I've all not always known how to be in truth and deliver the truth in a way that it served other people. I was always early on about serving myself with the truth. And then I learned and cultivated in a way where I can serve other people with the truth as well. So it's not selfish and self-serving, but I, I think having that time of being emotionally disconnected, one of the ways that it served me, despite all the ways that it didn't serve me, was I really cultivated a commitment to the truth because didn't matter if you didn't like it. It didn't matter if you thought it was wrong. It didn't impact me. And so one of the weird uh, benefits of going through that season was that I really cultivated that place of truth. And so now I use it for good. That's why I tell people I use my power for good now. How did you transition though? At what point did you recognize that it was at nine years old that you know, this experience happened and shook you up and created that disconnect and what helped you get past that? Um, What helped me, what really jolted me into beginning to change, this is so strange, is when Princess Diana died in 1997, which of course I knew who she was, but I'd never been a fan of the Royals or anything like that. You just know who they are. But when she died, I was like mesmerized and drawn into, because if you remember, it was 24-hour coverage about her death and the funeral and all the things. And so I was mesmerized and really drawn in. I sat in front of my TV for days on end watching everything about her because to see people from around the world fly into London to lay flowers at her home, people were distraught that this woman was dead. And I thought, and I was 27 then, and I said, wow, this whole world mourns because this woman is dead. If I die, it's not going to be nobody there but my family and a couple of my friends. (laughs) Because not only had I not made an impact, I didn't even care about people enough to make an impact. Mm. And so it was like, what do I want the experience of my death to be? And so it was then that I started to make the change and the desire to make the change made me then start to go within to say, okay, what is this all about? Because I thought my disconnection was just part of my personality. I thought I really didn't like people. I thought I just didn't like people. I thought it was part of my personality. It seemed to work for me. But when I got that desire to really start, okay, what do I, I want to take control of the narrative at my funeral. What will people say about me when I can't speak for myself? And so that caused me to dive in and really begin to look at, and it was like, wow, oh, that's not a part of my personality. It's unprocessed pain. And unprocessed pain always ends up in your personality. And so I began to look at that and it began just a real deep journey of unraveling and remembering who I was before that trauma. Man, unprocessed pain always becomes a part of your personality. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's good. Darren, I connect to this so much. And I think it's funny you said that I was ahead of my time as mm-hmm. a young person as well, because my moment with basically looking at somebody's death and assessing what that meant for me came when I was a little kid, like fourth or fifth grade, wow. driving down the street with my mom. 
there was a funeral procession. We saw the, you know, the police, you know, come up on the bikes. And my mom was always in the habit of turning the car off, right? Like, oh, here we go, right? So that was what my experience was of when this happens, like you're going to sit for a bit. And this particular time, a couple cars went by and it was done. And we drove off and I was distraught. Mm -hmm. I was like, where are the people? And my mom was like, maybe, you know, they didn't have a lot of friends. Like she was kind of nonchalant about it. And I just could not literally all day. It bothered me. Wow. It bothered me. And my mom tells a story about me coming back hours later and saying, when I die, I need people to come see about me. I need, I like, why don't people, why don't enough people care enough to take off work and come to this person's funeral? And I was just dead set on like, I got to do something that is going to make people care about me. And that is basically <laughs> great. Wow. Yep. How I've lived my life, because by then I had got in my head that it was my responsibility to always help people when I could tell they were struggling with something. Mm-hmm. My first grade teacher shut me down one day, Ms. Mm-hmm. Boynton. I have, I was in the habit of always raising my hand. I knew all the questions. I knew all the answers, you know, mm-hmm. and Miss Boynton just one day, Miss Cunningham, put your hand down. And I was like, what's wrong with her? I know the answer. <laughs> I was mad. I threw my head on the desk. I was, you know, put my head down. I was mad. Like, how dare she? She kept me in at recess. And she said, when you know something, it's your responsibility to help your friends. It's not enough that you know. You have to help other people. So defining moment change, like literally I made it my business like, oh, you don't know what's going on. Let me help you because I've been done. Right. <laughs> and, because that is your essence. That yeah. is your essence. Pretty much like, oh, you don't get. OK, let's let's stop. OK, well, here's what I'm learning or here's how I'm doing it. I don't know if it's the right way, but it's been working. So let me share it. I got that in first grade. And then wow. in fifth grade, made the decision that some somebody needs to care when I die. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs to be taking off work to come to yeah. my funeral. <laughs> Take off work, send my daughter a few letters, hit right. her, give her some DMs about what, what her mom did. Like That's that right. was literally, it has been how I have lived my life. Like, I just want to make a difference, make that dash count. But I, so I didn't know about Princess Di, but Mm -hmm. I did know about Nipsey Hussle. Oh, yes. And that, that, let me tell you, you know, Nipsey Hussle, if you guys don't know, is a rapper, West Coast rapper who actually grew up in the neighborhood, basically adjacent to mine um, in South Central Los Angeles. And I was just so... I don't know. I felt so appreciative of how much you appreciated his life, even though you didn't quite know who he was mm-hmm. before his death. And now I see there's something there, too, from Princess yes. Ida Nipsey Hussle. Yes. How did that happen? Yeah, that man, his life has really shaken me. There is not a day that goes by that I don't think about Nipsey Hussle. And it's so amazing because I, I it's, it was unreal for me that I could grieve somebody's death so hard who I didn't even know before he died. But diving into his death, because uh, I didn't know who he was, and I, I just, when he died, saw all of the hoopla, and I was just like, okay, who is this guy? And when I saw one interview, it led me down the rabbit hole because I was like, who is this man? And part of it is just the whole tr- transformation of who he used to be But one thing about it that he did on his journey the whole time, 
he was true to whoever he was in the moment. He was true to whoever he was in the moment. And he was so intentional about it wasn't just for him. And, and it's like a man who comes from that, a man who's so young, a man in that culture that society tends to think this outlier, urban, not usable, mm-hmm. a lot of things, culture. But listening to him, I saw me in him in a weird way. And it, I mean, I carry him on a daily basis because it's such a loss to the world, I believe. And it just really started to show me that we don't know people. We think we know people. We think we know people by what they look like, what they do, where they come from, what they've done. And it's like, we don't know people at all. And it's like, I don't have the full breadth of the vision yet of why I'm so connected to him. But what I do know is that my life is different because throughout the day, sometimes I'll be like, oh man, Nip, because I just want him to be alive so bad. But then I'm like, if he was alive, I wouldn't know him. So I'm just caught in that crossfire of it. So, and it just stretched me and it even broadened me. Because I don't even listen to that kind of music. That's the thing that got me. I was like, now I know this ain't Varian Speed. Let's be clear. Varian is a church girl through and through. <laughs> when, when we have been on our trips, Barbados, Belize, wherever, Varian will be like, no, I don't curse. Um, <laughs> no, I just don't do it. Not I don't do it at church. I don't do it in front of my mama. I just don't do it. Right. So when I start seeing you, you even yeah. went to um, the marathon. I went to the marathon. Store. She it made a video fun. about it. I made a video about it. I've listened to so many of his songs because if you listen beyond yes. the language, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, it's amazing. He's telling his story, but it's so much value in those songs. And I can see how the people who do listen to that kind of music, mm-hmm. why he impacted them. So because, yeah, it's packaged in in his culture and it's packaged in all the stuff. But if you can listen beyond that, there's so yeah. much value in it. That that really makes me think of just in general listening beyond. I think mm-hmm. that people get so caught up in the messenger. Mm-hmm. that or the culture right. that the messenger may represent that they just refuse to acknowledge the breadth of the message mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and one of the things that i admire about you you did something with your your retreats so you do these retreats mm-hmm. um sold out events intimate <laughs> events and mm-hmm. i just love like watching you go through that process and the whole thing but one thing that you did that i was like she really is committed to her truth. And you encouraged my soul, my being. <laughs> you made a comment or a reference to the fact that most of your attendees were African-American, yet mm-hmm. you have so many white friends mm-hmm. or, or friends of just other nationalities who right. follow you, they interact, they like, they comment. And then when you say the doors are open, they don't sign up. Mm-hmm. And you just called it to the carpet. I was like, come on, <laughs> Right. And that's one of the things that I've struggled with, honestly, is Mm. because my audience is so mixed, so Mm -hmm. diverse. They're not all Christian. They're not all black. They're not all women. They're not all anything. Right. Right. 
Um, because a good message is a good message. A message that resonates, sees no color right. or, or race or, you know, whatever. And you made me get on here one day and say, now look it, now look it here. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, stay in my DM. But when I say there's a chance to go deeper with me and have a more intimate experience, only African-American women sign up, mm-hmm. Right. And so when you did that, I was so encouraged, but, but back to you being committed to truth and knowing that you, you have a message, like how, how are you able to just call that to the carpet? I don't know. It was just amazing. Yeah. It was so funny. One of my friends, one of my white friends, um, after my first retreat a couple of years ago, almost three years ago now, be three years in January, she forwarded it to, or she forwarded, it was something else I was doing. And she forwarded it to one of her for other friends who were black. And, I'm, and she's like, oh, I love Barry. She's great with my friends. You might want to connect with her. She's doing this thing. And I said, appreciate the share. <laughs> but why are you only sharing it with your black friends? Mm-hmm. And she hadn't even thought about it. And so I was like, what made me think I'm always that stuff that's a bunch of white people. Oh, I have God. a bunch of white friends. I have a lot of places that I go. I mean, my entire life I've been in places where I have been one of a few, if not you right. know, one. And so I'm like, well, I go there. I know y'all love me. Why aren't I seeing you all over here? And mm-hmm. it, and I just wanted to ask the question because my mother always taught me, go to the horse's mouth if you want to know. So I asked the question and it opened up a great conversation because it's interesting that uh, in my retreat is for women that the Caucasian women, the consensus was that they thought when a group of black people get together, that they're not wanted, that somehow wow. they have to be invited to come. And so that's why what you saw was like, OK, well, this is the open invitation. Anytime I do anything. Everybody's welcome. You don't need a formal invitation. Everybody's welcome. You are. This is my life. That's the world that I live in. I don't live in just a black world. I live in like you, Patrice, a world with all types of people. And I was so pleased that following retreat, uh, a third of the women were non-black. That and, is and I was so and it and then um this one coming up is the same thing. And so I was just so pleased. But if I didn't say something or ask or even talk about it, it would have been a repeat of the same thing. And I'm of the belief that any and everything can be said, it's just how you enter the conversation. I don't believe any topic is off limits. I know you don't, because I've seen you in the wig shop on your <laughs> 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 I've seen you in the wig shop on your Facebook Live. I'm like, Varian, first of all, but Varian's hair is always laid. Let's be clear. She is the go-to, like, Varian, what should I do, right? I love that, though. It's it's not about what you're saying or what the topic is. It's, it's how you deliver it, right? So how did you learn to be committed to your truth while still... Because I do believe that some some conversations are just going to offend because it is what it is, right? No matter how we deliver it, if you want it, some people are committed to being offensive, right? right? So no matter what you do, they're like, oh, I'm offended. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. How do you stay committed 
deliver in the the way that feels the most authentic for you and not concern yourself or do you concern yourself with those who are committed to being offended? I'll answer that two ways. It started when I was young, when I was about seven or eight, I remember coming home one day and I told my mother, I was all mad. I was mad because my little friend, Margie, she had said she didn't want to be my friend. It's like, what do you mean you don't want to be my friend? So I was all mad and I came home and I was like, Margie says you want to be my friend. She says she doesn't want to be my friend. So I'm thinking my mother's going to be on my side. Like, yeah, that little girl is crazy. What does she mean? She doesn't want to be your friend. And so my mother said, well, Marion, she doesn't have to be your friend. Now I was like, what? She doesn't have to be your friend. And there's nothing wrong with her for not wanting to be your friend. And there's nothing wrong with you. Do not make her wrong for not wanting to be your friend. People have a choice to be people's friend. Just like you have a choice, she has a choice as well. And nothing's wrong with that. Now, she can't harm you. She can't do things to you. But if she simply doesn't want to be your friend, she has the right to not be your friend. And there's nothing wrong with either of you. And what I didn't realize at such a young age, she inoculated me in many ways from the approval of people or if people didn't like me or like what I said, I didn't make it about me because she put that in me at such an early age that it didn't mean anything about me that you have a choice to not like me. And it doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means you're exercising your choice. It's no different than you may like chicken. You may like pork chop. Neither is wrong. It's just your preference. And so early on, I was imprinted with that thought that people have a preference. And so I didn't take on your reaction to me as something about me. I let it be what it is and just a person's preference. And as I've gotten older and I I keep getting more and more and more committed to the truth. It's an ongoing process. I keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper committed to the truth. And sometimes I do think about what people might say, especially people that I feel are important to me and people that I love. And then I choose anyway to be in my truth and deal with whatever discomfort comes with that, Mm. because that discomfort is temporary and I get to always be free on the other side. Oh, that's good. How does that commitment to truth then extend to how you prioritize your schedule? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely extends to that. And a lot of times it's hard because people don't understand because I do put myself first. I'm not a selfish person, but I am a self first person. Oh, say that again. I'm not a selfish person, but I am a self first person. I put myself first in all scenarios because That's the way that my yeses get to be yeses and my noes get to be no, because I'm constantly putting myself first. So if I tell you yes to something, you never have to worry about is is it an imposition? Like when people, it's this nicety thing that people, you'll say yes to something. People go, you're sure? I wouldn't have said it if I'm not sure. It's like, I don't do niceties. I don't do that. I put myself first. And it's hard for people a lot of times when they first meet me, because it's like, Sometimes it's just like, yo, you want to, nope, not doing that. Or, and it's like, people aren't used to people being so true about what they're going to do and what they feel. 
I do that by putting myself first. Now, sometimes putting myself first is putting other people first. Okay. You know, so when I say put myself first, that's not to the exclusion of anybody else. It's just always that at the end of the day, what I choose to do ultimately makes me feel good. Like, for instance, I can remember one time I was traveling so much and I got home and I was so tired. My mother, she's 82 now. So at the time, she was probably about 78, 79. She doesn't drive long distances. And so she wanted to go somewhere that was on the other side of town. I was so tired and I did not want to do it. But then I thought about, number one, you travel all over this world and you're not going to take your mama across town. And then I had to think about if she were to die tomorrow, would my knowing this moment feel good to me? Oh, and sometimes that answer is yes. In that moment, that answer was no. And so putting me first was actually putting her first. Oh, that's good, Varian. And so. That's when I say that sometimes that I put myself first all the time. So that sounds strange to people. They're like, well, you can't always put yourself first. Yes, you can. And sometimes putting myself first will look like I'm putting someone else first. But that's totally at my choice. My desire and my decision is never moving because somebody else wants me to do it. How do you even manage that with clients? With uh, You know, when people kind of feel like, well, I'm paying you. Right. And so I got to be first at all times. Like, how are you able to create these personal boundaries? It sounds like in other areas of your life, particularly I'm thinking like with work. Mm -hmm. Well, with clients, I have a distinction for myself that nobody hires me. And I know we have that that lingo. People say, oh, I hired a coach. You can't hire me. Um, You can partner with me. We can work together, but you can't hire me. And because you can't hire me, I'm still a priority. And if a priority and I have given money back, I have given money back. I this happened last June. I remember it very distinctly. I had just gotten a new client and um, I had told her that I'd be traveling. And so my responses to her would be at a certain time. And I got a message from her. She was like, well, I thought that you were going to be available at this time, which was not what I told her. And I said, oh, I said, no problem. I said, when I be back in my office on Tuesday, you'll have a refund because this is not how I work. And so I'm not attached to money. And because I'm not attached to money, it has no leverage. And I will give it back. (laughs) I will Mm -hmm. send you away. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's like I what I say to people, I am willing to lose any and everything and everybody. And because of that, life has no leverage on me. Oh. Now, that doesn't mean I want to lose it. That doesn't mean I'm trying to lose it. That doesn't mean I will lose it. But the power is in the willingness. And because I'm willing, life has no leverage on me. Mm. OK, you know, I can't wait to listen to this again. <laughs> I I am in it. I am like searching the recesses of my mind. You have me about to schedule and cancel all kind of things. <laughs> okay. So for someone who is desiring to commit to their truth. Yes. But maybe they have been a people pleaser and they have been all about the niceties mm-hmm. and all about doing what they think they should do. Mm-hmm. What are the first few steps in in getting clear and committed to your truth? The first thing is to practice telling the truth to yourself. 
because I have what I say is uh, the, the, the equation of power for me is truth squared plus voice equals power, which means that the truth squared is truth to yourself first and then truth to others. Many times we won't even tell the truth to ourselves first, which makes it totally complicated or even impossible to tell the truth to others. So the first step I would say is start practicing telling the truth to yourself. And the reason why we don't tell the truth to ourselves because we've been conditioned, whether directly or indirectly, that the truth has to come with judgment. And because sometimes what the truth is, we think we have to put a bad label on it. We don't want to put the label on it. So then we don't be with the truth. And I tell people, I tell my clients, no, truth is about awareness. You don't automatically have to go to judgment. Tell the truth to yourself, knowing that then you get to decide what you want to do with that truth, if anything. But most of us, we tell a truth and we immediately go to judging it, whether it's good or bad. And because of most of the truth that we don't want to tell ourselves would get a label as bad, then what we do is we avoid the truth. We try not to look at it. We try not to be at it. But the, the, the most powerful you can be is to be able to look at your own truth and not turn away. Mm. This is so good. <laughs> you're, you're bringing me back to an episode I did called I'm Not Above Backing Out. Mm. And people were like going to church saying they couldn't volunteer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Folks yes. were dropping PTA left and right. Yes. That ha- I've had that happen. It's like, yes. They were, I mean, and I just see this as being a great, strong follow-up to that episode. If you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to I'm Not Above Backing Out because it all starts from telling yourself the truth. Like, mm-hmm. this doesn't serve me in this season. Right. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I'm up for that. I, I have other desires mm-hmm. and other just, you know, things that I want to do and Oh my gosh. Okay. So I know you guys understand now why I say I love and admire Varian so much. Um, Varian, before I let you get out of here, I have to ask you a few uh, redefining wealth rapid wisdom questions. Okay. So you're going to just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? okay. First thing is how do you define success? Um, I would say for me, having enough reserves to not fear the natural occurrences in life. And I mean, all types of reserves, emotional reserves, relational reserves, financial reserves, physical reserves, to have enough reserves where I don't have to fear moving through life. That's so good. That's the first time I've heard that. Um, How do you define wealth in three words or less? um, Alan Weiss says this all the time, and I love it. Discretionary time. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What's one book that has changed how you see wealth? Okay. Don't shoot me because it's going to sound real cliche, but the first thing that came to my mind is the Bible. No, we get that answer. (laughs) (laughs) We We understand that here. Why is that for you? Um. Because early on, I realized that God had all the wealth that I needed. When I was five years old, my mother tells me about a story that I don't remember. She was like, you would always say a thousand dollar and God got it. That you wanted a thousand dollars and God got it. And as I got older, I really realized that he did. 
and does give us the power to get wealth. And so he is my partner in this wealth building process. And um, I take him at his word. Amen. And here's the last question. You're going to fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Varian Brandon. And the truth about wealth is that it doesn't discriminate. It moves in the direction of value and visibility. Varian, this was so good. Thank it you was. so I much. I so love this. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you for having uh, me. Thank you for having for having me. Like, one more time. <laughs> Just <laughs> thank you for saying yes. I knew it would be incredible and I'm just, I had so much stuff just from all your Facebook lives and things that I wrote down. But we said at the beginning, we would let the spirit lead. And this conversation about being committed to truth mm-hmm. was more powerful than anything I could have jotted down in notes. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Didn't I tell you? Did I not tell you? Varian is so good. But let me tell you. This is what it's like to talk to her, (laughs) to just hold any level of conversation with her. This is what you get. I just feel incredibly blessed to have her in my circle. She has taught me so much. Even the selfish versus self first has really set me free in a lot of ways. And like she said, when people are not used to that, it can it can do a little something. I'm still at the point of learning how to make sure that I deliver, that my delivery is correct. But at the end of the day, I want to commit to my truth no matter what. And I want you to remember what she talked about, that it's okay to choose. Like nothing is wrong or right. It's literally just a choice. It's also okay to give other people the dignity of their own choice, right? People deserve the dignity of their own process. So especially in a season like this, I see a lot of shaming around how people are handling this COVID-19 crisis. You know, there's people on one hand online, like, let's go hard. Let's do it. There's other people who are like, let's rest. You don't have to go hard. And both are true. Some people, the way that they cope is to go hard. For some people, the way that they cope is to take it easy. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is right. It's literally a preference. So let's give people the space, right, to move through this thing how they need to. And if you are someone who's struggling with people trying to tell you how to feel in this season, you have the right to commit to your truth. Commit to what feels good for you right now. Commit to what would bring you the most peace right now. Commit to your own process. And as Varian says, commit to your own truth, right? There's no right or wrong. Literally just do what feels good for you. And as an influencer, in many respects, I'll have to say, I also realize that when I speak, it can make you feel like you should be doing what I'm saying. Please don't think that. When I speak, I'm speaking from what feels right for me and what I'm going to encourage my clients or my students to do. And if they do it, great. If they don't, I still got love for them. Right. But it's my way of processing. But there's a balance there that people don't see. Right. My truth is that, yes, I'm still going to move forward with my programs, with Purpose to Platform, with Command the Stage. I'm still doing the things that I do, but I'm also spending several hours a day 
not doing any of those things, <laughs> being being a mom, being a wife, being a friend, checking on people, taking naps, right? Whatever your process is, commit to your own truth. I just hope that you'll take that away today. Don't get so consumed with what any one person is posting anywhere. Do your thing. You know what works for you. So make it happen. I hope that helps. I hope you enjoyed Varian as much as I did. Varian is really active on Facebook. There will be a link in the show notes to her Facebook page. Um, You can also find her on Instagram. Check the show notes for all the links on how you can connect with Varian. She's absolutely incredible. Um, Please let her know that you heard her on the Redefining Wealth podcast. And until next time, you guys, be safe out there. Keep taking care of yourself. If you want to connect with me in social media, that's Seek Wisdom PCW, Seek Wisdom PCW. And until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.